Hey, I'm Steven. Good to see you guys. Um, I am glad to see you all today. Um, this last couple of weeks, Hannah and I, my wife, we got to celebrate our first, what was it? Our first wedding anniversary. And uh, so you guys were all kind enough to us. Yeah, it was a blast. You guys were kind enough to us to give us some time off. So we got to go to New Zealand and see the Milford Sound. It was outrageous. It was, uh, put it on your bucket list. It was an adventure. So we went to the Milford Sound and uh, it was pouring the whole night. And uh, we woke up to snow-capped mountains and waterfalls and just outrageous beauty from what God um, created. And uh, it, is, it is a special place. We got to see this place. That's Mount Cook National F- Park. Actually, Mount Cook. That is uh, hashtag no filter, hashtag iPhone only. So I did not edit that photo at all. That is straight from my iPhone. That is just outrageous. That is mind-blowing. And the water was a little frothy, so it wasn't frozen yet, but it also wasn't um, quite wet, quite uh, liquid. It was kind of this weird in-between, and it was just amazing. But here's, here's the basic idea of what we did. We rented this Brits camper van. Yeah, it was a blast. We rented this camper van, and uh, we drove around uh, the South Island of New Zealand, and we just kind of adventured along the way and hiked every day and kayaked and did just a lot of fun stuff. But, but when we were checking out our camper van, when we were getting it from the people, from Brits, they told us, uh, they, they gave us this packet, and it had a list of all the things that we had to know. Uh, if, if the water fills up, then you have to empty it this way. If the other stuff fills up, you have to empty it that way. If you run out of water, fill the water this way. Make sure you put diesel in it. They just gave us the checklist, and they made sure we knew what we were doing. Sounds about right. But at the end of the conversation, I was like, cool, is there anything else we need to know? And essentially, they just gave us an idea. They didn't say, like, make sure you know this and know this and know this. It was, if anything breaks down, here's how to think about fixing it. They didn't really give us the tips and tricks or the, or, or the way to fix it. They just said, yeah, just, just see what happens. Just see what happens, and then if, doesn't, if it doesn't work, just give us a call. In my estimation, that's kind of what happens in the book of Ecclesiastes. If it doesn't work, what do we do? Enter Ecclesiastes. Because Ecclesiastes falls in this interesting place in biblical wisdom literature. You guys have heard biblical wisdom literature? We've been spending the last four weeks in it. it here, here are the four books. It starts with Proverbs. Sounds like wisdom, right? Proverbs is wisdom literature. starts with Proverbs, and then it goes into, I'm adding Psalms. Psalms is traditionally poetry, but it's wisdom poetry, so I'm adding Psalms to this four-book category. Psalms and Proverbs and then Job and then Ecclesiastes. Those are the four wisdom literature books that we've been spending time unpacking, kind of seeing this stuff out. Now, how does that work? What they're doing is building forward this idea that theologians and old people uh, call the retribution principle. People who've thought about this for a long time, they call it the retribution principle. Now, what that is, is it's this idea that the righteous prosper and the wicked suffer. Sounds like Proverbs, doesn't it? Sounds like Psalms, doesn't it? Now what happens is, Proverbs gives us this idea. You live righteously through wisdom and the fear of the Lord. You live righteously by pursuing God and fearing God and pursuing wisdom. Psalms enters, and it's meditations on what that looks like. So I got Proverbs. Here's some tips and tricks on how to live a righteous life. They're not promises, but they're proverbs, they're probability. Live this way, and it will work out like this. Live righteous, you'll prosper. Live wicked, you'll suffer. Psalms is meditation on that. And now, Job, from a couple weeks ago, Michael Williams got to share on that, and I didn't get to hear this sermon, but I heard it was amazing. Um, 
right? Was that an applause? You were about to clap? And then, <laughs> yeah, right? And uh, Job is an outlier because it's retribution principle where a lot of Eastern religions get this idea of karma can get abused in a lot of different ways. But Job wanted to unpack what happens when the retribution principle just doesn't quite make sense. I live righteous. I should have a good life that I'm leading, right? Job points us to the answer that it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes it just doesn't work out the way you planned. Now enter Ecclesiastes. Hopefully this was helpful for you guys, kind of seeing where Ecclesiastes fits in this scheme. But now Ecclesiastes enters. So as we approach the retribution principle, what is a healthy perspective? So Proverbs is telling me, do this and good things happen, do bad things and wickedness and just death and bad stuff happens. It's pretty clear cut in Proverbs. Psalms makes it pretty clear cut. Job makes us ask a question. And now Ecclesiastes is going to say, when all else fails, what do we do? When it doesn't make sense, when your RV breaks down and it just doesn't, like you just have no clue what to do, it's going to teach us how to think about it. It's not going to give us a list of do this, then do this, then do this, then do this. No, it's, you got to be innovative. You got to pull a MacGyver and see what happens. So Ecclesiastes is going to enter and give us a perspective on how to view this retribution principle, how to view this idea that you live righteously and you prosper and you live wicked and you suffer. But sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper. Why? How is that fair? Just like Job's friends are saying, oh, you did something wrong. You're suffering because you messed up. Just go figure out what you did wrong and it'll all get better. Ecclesiastes is now going to enter and show us, no, it doesn't always work that way. And here's why. Here's why it doesn't always work that way. So this retribution principle, we're not going to come back to that specific phrase too much, but this retribution principle of live righteous and you prosper, live wicked and you suffer, Ecclesiastes is going to flip it on its head. Yes, they are good principles to live by. Live righteously. That is a good call from scripture. Live righteously, pursue wisdom through God and the fear of God. But sometimes you do that and life just doesn't work out the way you expected it to. Sometimes the early bird doesn't quite get the worm, right? I wake up every morning and I still don't see any worms. You know, it's like, what? What do you do? Sometimes these principles to live by don't work out the way we planned. And Ecclesiastes is going to, honestly, kind of in an outrageous way, kind of in an uncomfortable way, suggest to us that it's not just about inputs and outputs. Do this, this happens. There's more to life than that. We can't narrow God down and put him inside this box of formulas and principles. They are helpful, but they don't give the full complete answer. There's a God who's so limitless. There's a God who is so good and knows so much about us and is so incomprehensible. He doesn't always function the easiest way that we think. So there's Ecclesiastes. If we were to put, this is, uh, I'm now instantly regretting that I did this, but if we were to give these emojis, Psalms and Proverbs would be the way to a righteous life. And Ecclesiastes and Job would be, okay, well, it doesn't quite work that way. So how do we approach this? And again, I'm going to get out of there. Because Ecclesiastes is now going to say when it doesn't work, 
when life isn't looking the way it's supposed to look, what do we do? It's going to, like he said in the video, he's, it's going to be a goad, and we're going to come back to it at the end, but it's going to be a goad that honestly isn't too comfortable. I was reading this book, and I was processing through it, and I was getting uncomfortable. I've read Ecclesiastes before, but I was getting really uncomfortable trying to figure out how to teach this thing. Because we have these preconceived notions of Ecclesiastes, don't we? Maybe you're thinking of the bird song from the 50s. Was it 50s? From the 50s, 60s. From the 60s. Uh, maybe you're thinking about vanity of vanity. Maybe you're thinking about this guy. We're all going to die. Like, maybe that's what you're thinking of. That's what the preconceived notion you have when you approach this book. But there's some good stuff in here with some good reminders that really, really challenged me. And my hope is that it challenges you as well to change your perspective on how we view these things, to change our perspective on where we're looking for satisfaction, to change our perspective on the ways we approach not only trials and difficulties, but also the amazing mountaintop experiences, the vacations, the promotions. Ecclesiastes, whether it was Solomon or some other author, but whoever the author is, is actually trying to get us to question how we approach these things. Am I looking for fulfillment in this hevel? Or is it found somewhere else? So here's the biggest question Ecclesiastes asks. Where can we find meaning in the world? You guys ever asked that question? Solomon did. The wisest man, potentially Solomon, the wisest man ever to walk this world asked that question. How do we make sense of this thing? How do we make sense of this thing called life where good people suffer and bad people are prosperous? Is that fair, God? Is it fair to elevate the people who cheat, the people who lie and scratch their way to the top? But me over here, I'm just trying to just live a righteous life and I'm getting beat down. God, why is this fair? What are you doing? He's asking that very question. Where can we find meaning in the world? The answer is not 42. For those of you who are uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fans, the answer is not 42. Here's our big idea for today. Genuine, the genuine meaning in life is found only in the fear of God. Genuine meaning in life. Not this little simple stuff that we pursue. Not the little tiny things. Oh, I found, I found my calling. I'm going to be a race car driver. That's nice, but you didn't find your meaning in life. I found what I'm going to do with my life. I finally found meaning. It is this. Anything short, anything apart of finding meaning in life in the fear of God is going to be hevel. Let's continue. It says this, chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's going to be fun, isn't it? Don't you guys love, I feel like every time I'm up here, I get a book that's like, oh, we're all going to die. It's going to be judgment. Oh, God's going to smite you all. And it's always something really exciting and fun, uplifting, and we go home happy, right? But no, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. How many of you are using an ESV translation today? Or love, prefer the ESV? Maybe not. ESV or NASB? 
or NET has a different word, or the King James has a different word, or NIV has a different word as well, but it translates this word in a bunch of different ways, whether it's vanity, whether it's meaningless, whether it's futile. Do you guys have some of those words? Meaningless, meaningless, says the preacher. Meaningless of meaningless, all is meaningless. We're all going to die. Let's just close our Bibles, pray a prayer, and go home, right? What he's trying to do here is make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. When Proverbs isn't working out, when Psalms isn't working out, what do I do? And so we're going to unpack this idea of vanity because there are two major threads that really, really run through this. And I couldn't escape them. And you guys know I like to talk about the word joy. Um, I was positive there was no joy in Ecclesiastes. We're all going to die. Let's go home. But we look at this and we can't escape it because there are going to be two big threads that run through the book of Ecclesiastes. The first one is this idea of vanity. He mentioned in the video that it's used 38 times. It's that Hebrew word hevel. Can you guys say that with me? One, two, three. Hevel. It's not that intimidating, is it? Hevel. Yeah, you can throw the ch in there again. Yeah, hevel. No, it's, it's hevel. It's this idea of vapor. The ESV footnotes it. It's vapor or mist or smoke or it's something that we're trying to cling to. He gets this idea hevel out from there. Remember? That was fun. But literally it means a mist or a vapor, mere breath or smoke. Meaningless. Vanity. What's another one? Futile. Those don't quite encompass this idea, right? Metaphorically, it means fleeting or elusive. That's the idea that he's trying to go for. He uses it five times that first, that first verse. Mist, mist, says the preacher. All is a mist. Smoke, smoke, vapor, vapor. All is vapor or literally fleeting or metaphorically fleeting, fleeting, elusive, elusive. All of this stuff. Everything that we pursue satisfaction in is elusive. It's all fleeting. It's all a mist. It's all a smoke. We try and find satisfaction and we try and cling on to it and it doesn't deliver. So again, the preacher is now going to try and unsettle us. Try and freak us out almost. Try and really make us think deeper about this idea of vanity or meaningless or futility. He's really going to try and push this in our face and say, what is it that you're finding satisfaction and what is it that you're going after? It's not going to deliver. The meaning of life is finding wisdom from the fear of God. Ecclesiastes says, but what happens when we don't do that? What happens when we're searching for this to deliver, for that to deliver, for that job promotion to deliver, for that whatever it is, whatever it is that's just around the corner for you that you put so much excitement into, whether it is a vacation, what is that thing that's just around the corner? It's Hevel. It's Hevel. So there are five uses of this word Hevel, and I do not want to unpack all five of them with you. I would love to, actually, but we'll be here for two and a half hours. So we're going to unpack two of them specifically because these are really important to see the flow of what he's getting at. He says here, the vanity of the natural world. I look around and I see mountains and I see societies being built and societies being torn down and none of it matters to the mountains. Who cares at the end of the day about this society that's been built, this society that lasted for a thousand years and then crumpled? The mountains don't even notice it. What's the point? Wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom itself. 
What's the point? Knowledge. So you're really smart. So you got the couple letters behind your name. What are you going to do? Oh, well. What does it do for you? We all die. Vanity of pleasures, possessions, and accomplishments. That's the one we're going to unpack uh, first. And then vanity of wisdom, vanity of labor. You work so hard. I, I had a theology professor in college who said that he loved working construction gigs on the side because he liked seeing his hands actually do something. He said he would spend so much time teaching these college kids how to view God and he never saw any benefit from it. He never saw the, like, the completion of it. He never saw stuff actually happen. And so often that's what we're doing in, in faith, right? We're trying to encourage others to trust Jesus more and we never really see anything. But then we look back hopefully 50 years later and we see the transformation in people's lives, but a, a house, you can throw up a house in a year. I'm watching a, this complete side tangent, but I'm watching a YouTube channel on this guy who's building a log cabin with his bare hands. It's incredible. But um, just seeing where he was with a dirt patch and some trees, then he goes and cuts down these trees and less than a year later, he built a log cabin. Like that's outrageous. It's just incredible. I, I love that YouTube channel because it shows me like, oh man, all this building actually turns into something. Like it actually does work out. But even that's hevel, right? Even that is vanity. Even that is meaningless. All this labor, the hard work we put in. What's the point? So he's going to say this. Jumping in in chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was meaningless, was vanity was fleeting, was elusive, was hevel. This guy was a guy who tasted every pleasure. Earlier in this passage, he talks about all the concubines he had and all the singers he had and all the food he ate and all the buildings he built and all the, I mean, just this goes on and on and on. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. I was the smartest person on the planet. I, I, yada, yada, yada. He was incredible. But behold, didn't deliver. And so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eye desired, I didn't keep from them. I went after it and I got it. I kept my heart from no pleasure, saying, if I saw a pleasure, I wanted it. And I went for it. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, hevel. Behold, all was vanity and a, stir and a striving after the wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So he uses these three main phrases, right? In these passages, it's all chasing after the wind. It doesn't deliver. I'm chasing the wind and I'm never gonna catch it. I can't race the wind. I can race it all I want, but I'm never going to beat it. There's no purpose to chasing after the wind. It's all vanity. And he introduces us to this other phrase, under the sun. You guys have heard this before? All that there is under the sun. That's going to continue to bring this thread forward with this hevel thread that's used 38 times. It's going to bring it forward and continue to get us on this idea of, man, everything in life, everything under the sun, everything on this planet, every pleasure that I could ever taste, everything I could ever build, everything I could ever, uh, every ladder I could ever climb. It's chasing after wind. What's the point? There's nothing to be gained 
under the sun. Here's the other one we want to unpack. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. Man, this is, again, this is so exciting, isn't it? That we get to just really love on this and like really enjoy reading scripture and why, wow, I hated my toil. Okay. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. I'm just going to pass it off. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool. Yet he'll be master of all which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. I built this business and I hand it off to the next guy. He could either take it to the next level or he could tank it. It's vanity. What's the point? Then he goes on in 20. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who is toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skills must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who didn't toil for it. You work so hard and hand it over to someone who put no effort in and the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper. This retribution principle gets flipped on its head. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of the heart which he toils beneath the sun? All of his hard work. For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart doesn't rest. We work so hard. This also is vanity. It's exciting stuff, isn't it? <laughs> and then he goes into three more, and we're not going to unpack those, but feel free to write them down because there are eight of these hevels, these, these sections of hevel, of meaningless vanity that he goes back to, and the first one was that five group of five that just, man, everything under the sun, what's the point? Is there any purpose? Is there any meaning? And then he does it again. He comes back to it a thir- one, two, and three. Again, brings this idea further. Yet again, guys, it is hevel. It's meaningless. And then he enters something that just doesn't quite make sense to me. We see this guy who, when I was in junior high, we called them emo kids. Is that a thing you guys ever heard? I don't know what they were called when you went to school. <laughs> yeah, I see some of you millennials laughing. Justin's laughing. Like, yeah, we remember emos. But it was, uh, I don't know, they just wore dark clothing and they were always like hunched out. They just ne- were never happy. That's kind of what we were reading, Right? What's the point? Why study for this test? I'm going to fail anyway. Why go to school? Why try hard? Why put myself into this stress of actually trying to do something? It's not going to work anyway. And then the second major thread that I see in the book of Ecclesiastes, these enjoyment passages. Does that sound a little contradictory? Just off the top of your head, just just like real quick, does that sound kind of nonsensical? We're all going to die. Nothing makes sense. Stop trying. Your work doesn't matter. Your friendship doesn't matter. None of this actually does anything. So why try? We're all going to die. The end. Oh, by the way, there's a lot of joy to be had in life. It just doesn't make sense to me. And we're going to reconcile this at the end, but follow with me and and hold these two in uh, tension together. Because again, I think that's part of what the goad is supposed to be, is holding these two conflicting ideas in tension. And that's what the preacher at the very end of this book is going to bring together for us. And he's going to synthesize the two in such a way that we can't miss it. He's going to give it to us right on a T and say, here is the meaning. All this conflicting, contrasting ideas that just don't really work well together. You can't marry the two ideas. Here is how they work. And it's going to hopefully be surprising to us, a goad that makes us think differently about the way we approach this time that we have under the sun, this chasing after the wind, this hevel. It's going to give us a different 
perspective on it. So these enjoyment passages, again, there are seven of them. We don't have the time to unpack all seven. I wish we did. Maybe we'll do a series on Ecclesiastes someday. But the seven enjoyment passages, here's the first one. It's in Ecclesiastes 2. It says, there is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. What? Didn't you just spend 12 chapters explaining that that's not how it works? Didn't you just spend 38 times using this word vanity, saying everything is useless, nothing actually matters, who cares, forget about it. And now, in the same tongue, you're going to try and tell me that there's nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil? Is that unsettling? Like, is that fair? Does that make sense? I read this and I think it's entirely inappropriate. Like, I'm, I'm angry at this guy for a while. Like, what are you talking about, Solomon or whoever, wise sage? Nothing matters, so enjoy it? I hate your toil. It's good for nothing. Oh, by the way, I really enjoy toil. I really enjoy this stuff. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat? or who can have enjoyment. Here's the second one. It's in Ecclesiastes 3, and I'll put these all in a list in a second, but it says in verse 9, what gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful. How do you throw the word beautiful into this book? I've seen everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he can't find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Does this guy sound kind of like he has two different personalities going on? Like, is this guy possessed? What's the deal here? This guy's got something wonky going on because out of one side of his mouth, he's saying it's all worthless, it's all vanity, it's all meaningless, it's all vain. What's the point? And on the other side of his mouth, enjoy it. I think the way he brings these two together is profound. I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. And that also everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. It's the gift God gave us. So what do we do with this? Because that's, oh, we'll read a third one. Verse 22, I saw that there's nothing better than that man should rejoice, not just enjoy, but rejoice, same word, but Rejoice in your work. Like, actually enjoy it and actually get super pumped. Like, praise Jesus for your toil that is useless. For that, this is a lot in the fourth one. Behold, I've seen to be good and fitting. It's to drink and eat and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him for this is his lot. Here are all five of them written down on the bottom. Or, excuse me, all seven of them on the bottom if you want to write them down. Meditate on them later. Those are actually exciting. But we look at this, is it vanity or is it joy? They don't sound like they go together, do they? They feel like conflicting ideas, don't they? Like it doesn't feel right. How am I supposed to approach life and see that all of this is just meaningless and vain and useless, but at the very same time, hey, take joy in all that useless stuff you're doing. Yeah, enjoy it. Find joy. Rejoice. Approach it with enjoyment. That job that you're working that just doesn't quite feel right. 
It's just not delivering. Enjoy it. That difficult family situation that's going on right now. Enjoy it. That difficulty in a friendship that you're experiencing right now, that weird, awkward tension, this relationship thing, it's just, it's, it's awkward a lot of times. Enjoy it. Whatever's hanging over your head, he's going to tell us, enjoy it. All this weird stuff that goes on in life that we see under the sun, the 70 whatever years we have, whatever the human average is, 84 or something, and the time we have comes to an end. We spend so much time looking for meaning, which is a good thing, don't get me wrong. Ask good questions. But he's saying we're looking for satisfaction in the answer to our problems. We're trying to find the answer to our problems here and now. I don't have a lot of money, so I'm going to start a business that makes a lot of money. I'll be happy. It's Hevel. Man, I'm single and I just really would love a companion. I would love a best friend. It's Hevel. I'm really, really starving. I would really love a nice filet mignon. Mm. It's Hevel. When we are looking for answers under the sun, it doesn't deliver. So let's keep going. Is it Hevel or is it enjoyment? Like I said a second ago, the preacher now is going to finish his sermon and he's going to transition back to the narrator. Again, you guys remember from the video, he said the narrator introduces and concludes and then there's a preacher going in the middle who's just saying everything's Hevel, it's a waste of time, stop trying. He's going to come back at us right here. The very end of the book, this is the last two paragraphs. This is where the two ideas come together. This is where the two ideas synthesize into what I see as a fantastic way of viewing life. Because they're not two different ideas. He's actually going to point out this is the same idea and we need to see the synthesis of the two. He says this, the words of the wise. Who's the wise in this context? The people who are, ju- the preacher who is just preaching. That wise guy who is preaching. The word of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed. Are the collected sayings they are given by one, that's interesting, that's a capital S, one shepherd. Now, I don't know exactly why they capitalized it. I'm sure they were interpreting it a little bit, but the words of the wise are like goads. This tension that we're feeling through Ecclesiastes of life is meaningless, so enjoy it. This tension that just doesn't quite resonate with us as 21st century Christians quite yet. It's a goad. It's a sharp stick pointing us in the right direction. Who's goading us? The shepherd. Which shepherd? The capital letter, I think is kind of a dead giveaway. They want us to see that this guy's looking forward to the coming of a very, very, very good shepherd who has continued to give us words that point us in the direction that we want to go. He continues to bring this retribution principle from the Old Testament forward and flip it on its head and wear the suffering of the wicked as the righteous person. The righteous person comes and wears that suffering, wears that punishment giving us righteousness. These things we look at, these hevel, 
that we look at, these hevel that we're striving after, this, this mist or vapor or smoke that we're striving after, asking why, why, why is it happening? The question isn't why is it happening. The question is who is going to redeem this? The question is why does this matter? Because the idea in Ecclesiastes isn't meaningless. Meaningless isn't really the best word for it. Vanity isn't really the best word for it. Futility isn't really the best word for it because the thing he wants us to see is that life actually does have a meaning. None of the stuff that we go through is meaningless because so often our perspective is that these trials we go through are obstacles to joy, right? Man, my car broke down. Just got to get past this trial. So anyone else drive a Jeep that knows, knows the pain? Yep, <laughs> Jeff Kurnagy, yes. That is the pain when you drive a Jeep. It breaks down all the time, but it's so fun. But your car breaks down. You blow a tire. Work doesn't look how you expected it to. The house isn't coming together as you expected. This relationship just isn't working out. It's just an obstacle. It's just an obstacle to my joy. It's just getting in my way. He wants to see that these obstacles that we see are actually opportunities for, for joy. They're not obstacles to greater joy. They're opportunities for greater joy. Why? Because we see something that is so much better than just what under the sun can offer us. So often we're drawn to only the stuff that we can see under the sun, chasing after wind, the vanity stuff, just the stuff you can see under the sun. Your 84 average years. We look for satisfaction there when the author of Ecclesiastes is telling us, no, that is what's meaningless. That is what's vain. That is what we're missing. When we're looking for satisfaction in the stuff under the sun, when we're looking for deliverance in the stuff under the sun, it just doesn't deliver. There's another perspective he wants us to see. We can chase after the wind all we want, or we can look to our good shepherd. The words of the wise are like goads. He's going to sum it all up right here in the end. The last two verses, here's a spoiler alert, the last two verses of any book generally have some really good wisdom. Like the end is always pretty good. And here's what he's going to say. Verse 13, at the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Give it to me, Ecclesiastes. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. God's going to bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. Everything comes under judgment. So the, the author, the, 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 the preacher is going to ask us, what's the point? Here's the point. God's using it all. God's using all of that hevel. All that stuff that we just see is meaningless, this smoke that we can't quite grab onto, this vapor or mist, or stuff that's just elusive or fleeting, the stuff that just doesn't deliver. We're looking for deliverance and satisfaction in that, and he's gonna say, no, it's somewhere else. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the message of the whole Old Testament, is it not? Pursue wisdom by fearing God. And it's not like, oh, I'm afraid. It's, a, it's, a, it's a more of a running to than a running from. Run to God. Find your greatest satisfaction in God. Keep his commandments. Psalm 1 says, I delighted in the law. Better word is instruction. 
I delight in the instruction of the Lord. Fear God, delight in his instruction. That's the meaning of life. All around us, all around us, we see this smoke, this vapor, this hevel. It's everywhere. We can chase it. We can cling onto it and ask, is this going to deliver, is this going to satisfy the positive hevel and the negative hevel? The, 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 the business plan that failed and the business that just got sold for a billion and a half dollars, good stuff, bad stuff, we look after it. And if we're looking for deliverance in that, if we're looking for satisfaction in that, then yeah, life's meaningless. But there's a good shepherd, the one shepherd who came and brought meaning to all of this and the meaning all of these things, all these obstacles for joy are actually opportunities to see God in a new light, to view God differently. And this, friends, this is something that changes the way we view our trials. Now, I wrestled for a couple <laughs> days on uh, whether I should show this or not, but, oh, yeah, that's Hevel. So really, Hevel, when we read the word meaningless or vain, it just doesn't quite get the idea across that the author wants us to see, does it? Because yes, it's meaningless if you are looking at things under the sun only. But there's a good shepherd who brings new light to all this stuff. It's not an obstacle, it's an opportunity. Now, it's just like this. Have you guys ever seen these before? I was born in the 90s, and so I think I caught the tail end. Mom and dad, is that right? I remember my parents had one in their room, right? They had a, it's called a magic eye um, mosaic. You guys seen these before? As you're looking at this, how many of you are like relaxing your eyes trying to see something right now? You guys see this? Anyone see what it is? What is it, Cindy Gersh? Okay, well done, yes. I still can't see anything. It's because my eyes don't have, how about this one? You guys see this? Wow, Cindy Gersh again, do you have an answer? Smiley face with glasses, is that correct? You guys all see that? Okay, well, that is what it is. I Googled it. That is what this is. So these things are kind of interesting. And bear with me, because this is going to be a little bit of a stretch, but I think it's going to come together at the end. These things are a lot like life, from the way Ecclesiastes shows us. This is life, how Ecclesiastes says it. You look at it, and it's just a bunch of pixels, and it's just a bunch of colors, and it really doesn't make any sense. You might see patterns, but I look at this, and I don't see a smiley face. I look at this, and I don't see a shark. Like, I, just, I, I don't see it. What Ecclesiastes wants us to say, to realize is, we look at life, and we're just staring at a bunch of pixels. It's all meaningless. It's all worthless. Until we see it. If you saw a shark in this, or is this a smiley face? If you see a smiley face in this, can you now unsee it? Can you unsee the shark in here once you see it? Now, some of us still haven't seen it yet, including myself, but, so it falls apart there, but once you see the shark, you can't unsee it, but everyone who sees that sees the same thing. Everyone who sees this sees the same thing. Not everyone sees it, but if you see it, you're all seeing the same thing. <laughs> Sorry, I'll leave it. Done. <laughs> Click her down. So many of people around us, so many people in your life are just looking at life like this, just staring. 
What is this? The meaning of life. Wait, I'm going to get rid of this. Sorry. You guys can Google it later. Yeah. <laughs> Google it. There are tons of them. The meaning of life. We stare at this stuff, trying to figure it out. We're grasping it, and it's empty. We're staring at it. We're trying to rest our eyes, relax our eyes. We're trying to focus our eyes. We're trying to look past the photo, trying to look before the photo, trying to change our perspective, and we see absolutely nothing. It doesn't make sense. But some of you saw that very clearly. Within seconds, you knew the answer. It's a shark and a smiley face. For those of you that saw it, you all saw the same thing. The author of Ecclesiastes is going to say the same thing about life. If you see it, if you see the meaning, if you've tasted and seen the goodness of God, you can't not see it anymore. Fearing God and keeping his commandments is what gives this whole thing meaning. Once you see the meaning of life as pursuing wisdom through the fear of God, you can't unsee it. And if you have seen it, you all see the same thing. Delight in Jesus. There's a one shepherd who is coming in their perspective. For us, he's already come, but they're going to say there's a shepherd coming. There's a good, good shepherd coming that's going to give all of this stuff meaning and really make it so clear to us. Or we could just stare at these pixels trying to find meaning. We could just stare at this smoke, this hevel, try and find meaning in it. Or we could see that there's nothing better than fearing God. God himself, the good shepherd, is the one who gives all of this hevel meaning because it really isn't meaningless, is it? The stuff you go through, the failed business plans, the difficulty in the family, whatever the doctor just told you, it's not meaningless. And that's not even what he's trying to tell us. He's not trying to tell us that it's meaningless, but what he's trying to show us is it's for something bigger. We can go two ways. We can either try and figure out why. Why did this happen to me when I was young? Oh, I know. Here's why. Or we can trust the one who put it in our path and was walking with us through it and continuing even now, continuing even now to give that thing meaning in himself. He himself put it in our path so that we will continue to pursue him and continue to fear him and continue to keep his commandments and just pursue him and find our greatest satisfaction and joy in him, not in stuff, not in hevel. That changes, radically changes the way we view hevel, doesn't it? Radically changes the way we view life. Yeah. Seems meaningless. I'll enjoy it. Because I know that there's a bigger meaning and I know that the person who is controlling it has my best interest in mind. So whatever that heartache is, whatever that is that's hanging over your head that you just can't escape, whatever that tension is that you just don't want to deal with, there is a way to find joy going through that. And it's not in the hevel itself. It's not in the difficulty itself. It's not in the circumstance itself. It's in the person who is in control of all things and working things together for your good. Fear God. Keep his commandments. That, that is the meaning of life. Pray with me. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, God, for being our good shepherd. 
Thank you for being the one who gives all of this weird stuff we go through meaning. Thank you for not letting us settle. God, and for those of us that are settling for the hevel in this life, that are searching for meaning in just this stuff under the sun, God, help us see that there's something more. Help us see that there's more to life than just what we can see with the naked eye, more than we can see or experience in our short lives under the sun. God, continue to remind us of this perspective as we go through our days. Don't let this be just a one and done type thing where, okay, I got it and we can move on. But Lord, help us see you in all things. Help us see you as the most satisfying treasure of all time. And don't let us settle for anything less. Don't let us settle for the greatest joys in life or the worst pieces of suffering. God, keep showing us that you are better than all of it. We pray this all for your glory and for our joy. Amen.